When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, just say that I say something. Oh gosh, it's a lot to remember. Okay. Hello and welcome to Conversations. I am Leslie Elliott and I'm introducing this live stream that Benjamin Boyce did for my YouTube channel, The Radical Center. He spoke with the regular contributors, Jennifer Friend, Deborah Knox, and David, and the topic of this conversation was the intersection between the sacred and the psychological. Yeah. And could you just introduce who Jen and Deborah and, and David are, unless they like to remain semi-anonymous and implied? I think that they just stay kind of like that. David doesn't even want his last name used. So okay, and then but yeah, he they all they all like kind of specialize in therapies broadly construed does our, uh, jennifer's a, a social worker deborah does not work in the therapy field and david oh, okay. is a student in a site okay. in a phd program in uk and he's trying to stay semi-anonymous huh. on is youtube that good? yeah that's great thank you, you very much for introducing it no 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 let's okay. just just say uh, um and now please enjoy okay now please enjoy <laughs> okay. There we go. Here we are. Welcome aboard. I'm guest hosting for Leslie Elliott today. I abducted her and uh, threw her into another realm. And so I'm here and joining the chat so you guys can introduce us, David. Yep. So I'll do, um, should I do the blurb? Yeah, blurb it. Blurb away. Solid Ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice, CSJ, aka woke, and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, children's school, or community. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts, and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies and answer the question, where do we go from here? Where do we you go from here? You can join one of our groups for five dollars per month. Uh, to find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note, Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice, and nothing we do should be construed as such. And thanks, Benjamin, for hosting today. I forgot to say. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. So uh, what, what's this thing as opposed to peer? Is this peer support or is this like peer bitch session? Like, why are you guys meeting once a, <laughs> once a week? We originally, I think we started off thinking it'd be nice to reach out and explain a bit of what solid ground because it was all completely new. Let people know who we were. Um, voice some of what we found to be troubling issues or things that we weren't sure about. And I guess in a way, sort of model open exploration of things in a live format. Guys, is that what you, you'd agree with? Or anything to add? Yeah, Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead, Deborah. No, I, I wasn't sure, Benjamin, if you were asking what's solid ground versus what are we doing with this live stream? So, well, this yeah, live stream. Yeah. So here. Okay. Here, he answered like, it. Uh, this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Jen? And yeah. so this is the 23rd episode, so you guys have quite a backlog over time. I guess just for my own benefit, my own ed edification, what have you guys, like, learned in the process? Like, what are some of the, the like, I, I guess one way of asking this is, as you've explored all these different topics, are, you, are each of you kind of coming to better understand what you're dealing with or what you're confronting or what you're grappling with in the culture or in your individual uh, professions? I think I'm learning that it's um, the sort of ideology of of wokeism has woven itself even more deeply into um, pretty much every aspect of the culture. And at the same time, I'm also feeling really encouraged because I'm seeing that there's a lot of people that are, um, you know, profoundly ethical people that um, share our concerns about that. And so it's been nice to be forming a community of those people and it really, um, it renews my faith in humanity and stops me from just, you know, wanting to wash my hands of the entire human enterprise. Um, and, you know, I do sometimes see hopeful signs. So it's been really helpful to me personally from that perspective. What about you, Deborah? Yeah, I'd say both with what we're doing through the live stream and then through our groups and then just my own, my own research. Um, I don't, know, I keep wanting to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Like what is motivating all of this such that I get tired of the blaming every, like those horrible, this or this horrible, that, and I really want to get down to like, okay, what is it about human beings <laughs> such that we are in the, you know, the, the situation that we're in. And, um, and so to me, I'm looking at the sort of the more of the religious motivations, also the, whatever's happening, transhumanist or relationship to technology and all these things. So I just feel like continuing to have conversations, um, Get, especially in our online platform, we, people are sharing a lot of different articles, you know, which we can discuss. I, I just can keep going. I want to get, I guess what I want to say is I want to get to a place where I'm not in some sort of hateful relationship to any of this. And like, I want to, on the, on the deepest level possible, understand. So there is some possibility of um, moving forward where we're not just constantly battling. Um, it's not going to be one side's just going to win and smash the other, and the other one's going to come and smash the other. So I don't have the answer to it yet, but I just feel like being engaged in this um, is helping me with that inquiry. Hmm. And David, what do you think about uh, the religious versus the technological versus the cultural influences on, on what disturbs you about culture, what you, you're questioning about where we're at? Yeah. Um... There are there are all those distinct elements, but they all come together, don't they? Um, I mean, I think I was just going to think. I was just thinking as Deborah was talking of building off what she was saying a bit with with the fact that one of the things I'm noting, noticing myself is that um, whilst it's it's really useful to keep going deeper and deeper into understanding why or questioning why things might be the way they are, or trying to understand these disturbances in our culture, I find do, I do find sometimes there's a bit of a, a tension in the, in that. Um, the kind of sphere that I'm in professionally feels like it might be getting ever increasingly separate from, say, 
<laughs> some you know you guys that I talk to the community that I find myself in with solid ground and I I, I just I, I sort of get a sense in which I want to be able to ground myself in a conversation that makes more sense to someone who hasn't been diving deeper and deeper and I think just from my own personal point of view I'd like to find ways of pulling myself back out of things again because you can think about the religious need of the culture and and the things that we're missing and the religion shaped hole in our society and then you can you can also look at some of some of the ways in which ugh, even stuff on my course is 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 sort of flavored with critical theory and yet i don't think people necessarily on my course have seen it or, or necessarily even notice it so i i'm always trying to find a kind of way to bridge the gap back down to sort of the other space i operate in as well if that makes sense you know, there's this um, uh, evolutionary biologist, Colin Wright. He's got this meme, or he made a graphic of a meme that I think has been around for a while, where he it shows like a left-right spectrum, and he's on the left, and then the far left goes way over here, and suddenly he's uh, a Nazi, right? So when when you're trying to be when you're trying to be neutral, and the other and one group uh, or the elite group or a very powerful group is pushing things very. Uh, strongly in another direction. How do you maintain neutrality without being dragged along by their Overton window? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a conversation with my, I, I, sort of my personal tutor the other day, and it, it, he seemed to have it in his mind because of some of the criticisms he's heard me uh, talk about on the course. He sort of says, you, you seem like someone who's very interested in the individual. So it's like, you know, you criticize a collectivist point of view, you become an individualist. <laughs> um, you know, he even sort of, I got this sort of sense that what he was saying to me was, um, uh, what he was thinking about me was that I was denying that racism exists. And you you feel like the, the amount of work sometimes you have to do just to kind of present yourself as a full individual with a, a full appreciation of things that are going on, but just some problems with some some of the issues around, you know, th this ideology is quite a hard thing for people to, to do. And that's, I think, probably why our, our groups are so important, because we can help 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 do that. This really, uh, I feel that that's a really important uh, awareness, David, about if, if you guys are kind of creating your own echo chamber, you're getting way too far out, then you might be losing connection, connectivity with people that you could be in dialogue with. So just yeah. being aware of that is, is a really necessary thing, even if it introduces a lot of psychological stress, because you have to do a lot of translating and, and dealing with like the cognitive dissonance involved in, in other ideologies. I want to jump in on something like that because I was just listening to a really good conversation about um, polarization yesterday. And one of the things the this, book, this guy's written some books on democracy and he was talking about we have the polarization where our group hates the other group and you just ramp up how much you hate the other group. But he said there's a really uh, another phenomenon that just can occur in group, especially if you're not having air kind of flow, if you will, like between groups where there can start to be like an ex ideas get more extreme inside the bubble with each other. And then a hierarchy even forms. And then there's like the tastemakers who get to do the purity assessment kind of thing and who's not scoring well enough in that. And then all this, um, what do you call it? Um, manning the, the, the frontier of the edges and policing it all the time. And so I did, you know, I think for our group, I do like, we have people with different opinions. I actually was encouraging someone the other day, they asked me about posting something and, and I was like, I, I didn't know if I even thought I agree with it, but I was like, I, I want, I don't know if I even have this right. Right. So like, I want you to have your expression. And so I think as we encourage 
we don't have to encourage you to enforce anything, but just be like, yay, someone has a different opinion in here, <laughs> right? <laughs> Would be good. Or, or maybe we don't keep looking at all the same sources of information or something. You know, we seem to like the same podcast. Like we all listen to Benjamin. It's like, you know. <laughs> I, I, I hear people now with different, different opinions um, who, who, who go through the process of, of outlining steel manning each other's positions, then going at it and doing that and having that dialogue, I actually find myself getting really emotional now. It feels like something that's so, so missing. It feels so missing that I'm, I, I do actually find myself kind of getting quite, um, yeah, quite, quite sort of, you know, I don't know what, what I describe the emotion as, but it's, it's just a real sense of appreciation and longing that <laughs> we have more of that. Um, I don't know if anyone else gets that reaction, but it just feels like that's such an important thing to have. But I always get a bit choked up when when I hear when I hear it or see it done in a really productive way. There are organisations that do. Yeah, it's worth saying. <laughs> but yeah, we we don't always feel that we have it in us, our own sort of personal spheres sometimes. I, w I was invited to give a talk in California with Jennifer Lawl and Chloe Cole and Amy Souza, I guess about the transition uh, topic or the gender transgender topic. And uh, I didn't know what I was going to say. And then, but I, what I was trying to think about, how do I approach a group of strangers to kind of map out what I've done? So I've done a lot of I guess research probably two or 300 interviews around the topic of gender from detransitioners to transitioners to radical feminist researchers, psychologists, sexologists, et cetera, et cetera, you know, uh, all that stuff. And like, how do I, how do I formulate what's going on or what my position is in that discourse? And I was thinking in terms of left wing, left wing and right wing and how the right wing might, um, generally speaking, right wing might be, uh, they're, they're critiquing the lack of tradition in a way and trying to figure out how to revitalize tradition or how to like reapproach tradition, how to gain that which has been lost that might be from their point of view leading us to a very chaotic state. The more left wing, but actually not really left wing, more liberal point of view might be critiquing like the loss of certain values in our institutions and trying to think in terms of systems, thinking in terms of how did the experts go wrong? Where were the values? How do we regain rational rationality? Uh, you know, you know, the first amendment, like all those liberal values, those things are, are lost. And, and I was thinking in terms of the gender debate where we have traditional gender norms that have been upset and uprooted and led to a sort of free fall. And how do we go back? How do we understand the archetypes of male and female, the stereotypes of male and female? How do we distinguish like the differences between these things and still approach that with nuance? And then with regard to the liberal point of view, how do we allow for freedom of individuality without necessarily reinventing gender and then medicalizing it because our experts have been caught up by this kind of post-liberal project of progressivism of allowing every given individual to manifest their own so-called gender identity and inscribe that into their bodies. And I was thinking, I was trying to find like the radical center between those two things. Like what, what do we really need to gain uh, or what, what's really been lost? And when I was thinking about Chloe Cole, who's a detransitioner, she's very young. She's only 23. And she was transitioned at 12, 13, had a double mastectomy at 15 in California, just sped along through this track before she had any, any development at all. And just thinking about her cohort 
this Gen Z or millennial, or I guess it's Gen Z, and how they've lost intuition. We've, we've, we've denied them certain sort of archetypal understanding, certain sort of historical knowledge, and we've kind of thrust them into this just cycle of progressivism, of, of pers- pushing the boundaries of individual manifestation. But what, they, what it seems like they haven't developed a lot of is a, is a personal intuition. And something about the, the present modern world, and it might have to do with technology, it might have to do with the loss of tradition. So like, how do we regain intuition? So I was just thinking about that. I was wondering if that was uh, something you guys want to speak to. There's something about the whole um, trans project that is so profoundly disorienting to me. Like it's, um, to me, it's sort of almost like the ultimate form of being removed from oneself. It feels like adopting a very synthetic identity. And I don't mean that as an attack on anyone who's going down that route because you know, I ultimately think everybody's trying to do their best and make their way through the world in a way that makes sense to them. Um, it's the, what's very troubling about it to me is the intensity of which it's being um, forced upon people as this is the way and this is the way you must think about this. and. Um, you must believe that somebody can change their gender and you, um, it's like we're being sort of prescribed a set of beliefs that are quite unusual beliefs until, you know, just a few moments ago and told that if you don't believe these things, um, then you are a horrible person and you're a transphobe and you're a bigot and that you have to, um, sort of carry these things through in all aspects of your life. You know, you, you need to fly the flag. You need to use people's pronouns. Everybody has to think about it exactly the same way. And I, it, it's just, just, it's just a very, very peculiar phenomenon to me. Cause I, I don't know why, why does everybody have to think about it the same way? There, there have been trans people, um, for a while, not at the level of today. And people, there wasn't a huge societal thing about it. People were just kind of living their lives. Um, And I wonder how we've gotten to the point where on an individual basis, we can't just kind of live our lives and find our people that support us. Some people will and some people won't. And that's okay. That's life. And leave it at that. It's the sort of militarization of it all that has really... um, left me feeling very confused and kind of um, cut off from other people. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You know what I find really, it's peculiar, but it's also, I guess it goes with, um, you know, I talk about the intuition, I'm really thinking about that, um, Benjamin, and the non, somehow people don't feel so embodied, so they're just not really, they're online, they're 
out somewhere else. And there's just all these external references to like, who, which test can I take that I'm, I know which score I get on the gingerbread man or something like that, right? And it, so there's this high degree of subjectivity. There's this high degree of me and my experience, but they're not really having their, I don't think they're really having their experience. I don't like, it's, it's very me, 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 but it's not going to one's essence. I think they think they're going to their essence, but it's not, I don't know, something else is coming in with other ideas. And uh, to say, as I say that though, I, I wouldn't mind if the influences were things that I think are more like you're talking about the archetypes, like things that seem to be proven down the ages that human beings resonate with like that. I, that somehow as input doesn't seem um, as bad to me as, you know, going and um, having people tell you you're, you know, some, made up gender word um and then you decide that you're going to wear that today it's like it feels like people are going for outfits or something and wear uh, and i don't know i have i have friends with small children they, they've been very good with like having the girls be very much in their bodies and enjoy being girls and they're actually kind of conservative jewish and it's like there's just been they've really kept the tradition and the um, the meals and the family. And there's like something like, I feel those girls are really grounded in some sort of way. They, they have good sense of themselves. They have good sense of their boundaries. And um, I, I think there's, it's been just very careful parenting. There's definitely they have time, like they even do Shabbat. They have time where they're not running around trying to get stuff done. Um, so I think those, and their parents so do do these, things like guided things, like spend some time to feel, you know, whatever inside, you know. <laughs> but but those girls specifically are, are given a mold, like a, a mold that has been uh, developed over centuries. Right? So they're given, like in, in a purely liberal, a purely liberal rational subject in America is not supposed to have a mold. You're only, you're only given yourself and then a billion options. What you're saying is these girls are given some sort of tie to a tradition that roots them and it feels like they have more agency. Is that what you're saying? Even though they're given, they're, 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 they're very, kind of, they're very, I'm thinking of the older one and I don't, I'm like, I'm feeling protect. I didn't even say their names, but I noticed I'm like, should I be talking about them? Okay. Um, they're just especially the older one. I mean, just self-possessed in a good way. Like I, you know, what it just, just in terms of even like saying, well, I, yes or no, when it's appropriate, you know, for oneself and, um, not being all like, I guess I see the, a lot of these younger kids, they seem so shaky inside, right? Like it seems like there isn't some developmental process that's happened where they're growing in, um, not even needing rigid mental categories to organize and orient themselves um, at a certain point um, that, you know, as kids get older, they don't suddenly need to know, well, what's the latest thing I'm supposed to be adhering to? Because otherwise, if I don't, you know, I'm a bad person or I don't know what's going on. And I'd love to see, I, I, I just think any kids that are probably being raised, like either homeschooled or um, there's an emphasis, I don't know if the Waldorf schools, I'm thinking about schools where the body, you know, people are just more um, having the kids tune into their body and, um, cause there's that line too, between intuition and then, oh, I know what I want. And I'm a, I, I consume all the time, <laughs> right? Like, like I, it's like, what's intuition that's wisdom versus, and oh, I know I want this and that. It's like a kid could go, I know I want candy. Well, you know, <laughs> right. So a little deeper than that level of knowing oneself maybe. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so you're really talking about some wisdom and a way of being in the world that is anchored through time-tested traditions, um, which I think is, is, is a wonderful thing that we're losing. And I think you can be anchored to traditions um, and perhaps maybe also have still have some um, room for fluidity and creativity about how you live those traditions so it doesn't have to be a rigid mold. But I do think people need some guiding principles to conduct their lives. Otherwise, it really is just a free for all. And one idea and one pursuit is as good as the other. And how do you, I think, Benjamin, when you're saying intuition, you kind of perhaps mean like tapping into a deeper sense of things. And I don't know how one can do that without any guiding principles. And in this sort of hyper stimulating world where there's endless options, you can even change your sex, supposedly. I, I think it's incredibly disorienting and confusing and sort of acts to detach us from ourselves. Yeah, I, I was thinking as well, um, Benjamin, you asked a question, didn't you, about sort of whether or not being sort of tethered to something more traditional could give you somehow more freedom, even though um, the tendency for people in certain areas would be to kind of liberate themselves from anything that came before them. But these these things that people are li uh, sort of tethering them, tethering them to themselves to now is they feel almost kind of like superficial constructs, don't they? Sort of male, female, trans, um, furry, you know, these, these things that don't feel, these don't, these things don't feel particularly deep. And so uh, to liberate oneself from the past and to sort of say we have endless fluidity is fine as long as you, people are also able to understand how, how much deeper they're, you know, their, um, I don't know, their humanity can be. And I mean, how, how do we know about that stuff without understanding the wisdom of the past? This, that seems to be the sort of, the problem at the moment is that um, any any sort of te tethering to the past feels somehow oppressive or imposed, rather than something available for people as a sort of source of wisdom for people to to to, to, to take from. I'll just I'm just thinking about this isn't tied to tradition, but it ties to the body. David, I'm thinking about your work with your research on the. Um, interoception and that like I'm wondering if there's anything here in terms of what you're finding out about people's relationship with their body their interiority and how this might tie to what we're talking about if at all interoception yeah <laughs> interoception um have you heard of proprioception it's the sort of feeling of your body in space so you're you have a kind of instinct that tells you where your joints are in space it's kind of like a it's an instinct that we have. And then interoception would be the feeling, the sensation of what your in your innards, <laughs> your internal organs and things are doing. So heart rate, breathing, um, but also your skin and and just I guess what it what, what, what it can kind of interoceptive research is looking at is the way in which we um, process our emotions and then it has a lot to say about trauma as well. And um yeah, just think about what you were saying, Deborah. Um I do know from our research at the moment that, that, that you have a, uh, a psychological, physiological um, stressor that is uncomfortable. And if you you don't process it, you don't make sense of it, you don't try and understand what it is that's happened to you, um, 
you don't learn from it. Um, in fact, we've, we've seen that people who um, have suffered sort of from having a stressor, like putting their hand in cold water for, for, and keeping it there for a certain amount of time. If, if, if you're not able to sit with the feeling afterwards or you try and, in fact, they found that people who try to ignore and distract themselves from that feeling by distracting themselves by doing something else, those people uh, are much more likely to then say if they get sort of, I don't know, poked a couple of hours later with some sort of innoc um, some sort of, um, what would you call it? Non-noxious stimuli, just something that's more just a kind of a mechanistic poke. Or something. That is much more likely to be rated as a painful experience. So there's a feeling in which unprocessed um, difficulties physiologically and emotionally as well, because they're all connected, can then contribute to um, uh, feelings after the fact that, 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 that they then get caused to be sort of... Um, yeah, also a difficulty too. I'm trying to tie this into what we we're talking about. Yeah, I didn't know but, um, if anything just, you were doing was tying to people's better sense of intuition or better sense of some kind of knowing, but it sounds like that's not what you're really getting at in the research. No, I, it doesn't sort of come into identity um, in, so much, in, in, in such a way. But um, I mean, the, the, fact that, the fact that these things are so disembodied is, is, and the fact that technology is disembodying us and the fact that I don't know, even the ideology is saying that the things that you reduce yourself down to are gender, <laughs> skin colour, you know, and then that's it. There's no much, there's, you don't go any further than that. It's firstly that they're, they're, for some reason, they're the irreducible components, and then it's also that that's what makes you up, and therefore you understand yourself once you've got to that point. It just feels very disembodied. Um, David, since you want to be reasonable to a wide variety of people, how do you, what, what kind of language are you capable of using? Maybe you have a whole set of languages to talk about the deeper things. Like how, how do you, how do you broach topics that are deeper? Because anytime you go deeper, I think it sounds like, it, it seems like you would be specifying and maybe alienating people. So, um, it's interesting. So we we, we looked on the course um, at some material recently. We, in fact, there was we were encouraged to to watch a film called Moonlight and and then think about the film from an intersectional point of view afterwards. For example, Ooh. and I. I <laughs> I, so I this movie is about I'm, a gay, black slash trans queer individuals growing up. I don't, I never saw it, but I know that that's kind of like the what it's mm -hmm. about. Yeah, it's about and it's about yeah, it's about how I guess. Well, I don't want to use the intersectionality terms, but there's there's a there, there, there's there's a lot of it was talk, we were talking about it with regards to mentalizing, so how we're able to mentalize one one another's experiences. Um, and also the way in which poverty contributes and you know, early attachment relationships can distract from and contribute to people um, not necessarily understanding how to sit within themselves. Now, I, I probably what, what, I mean, there's a simple point in a way, but I found the use of art and a film that, that encompasses so much and so, so much of a richness of, and texture with regards to human experience Novels do the same thing. Film does the same thing. There's a sense in which these things are embodied. And I, I, that, that felt like a kind of putting the human and the art first and then thinking about it from an intersectional point of view. I probably would have enjoyed not having to have think about the intersectional point of view from the intersectional framework afterwards anyway. But for me, like, that felt 
deeper than cutting someone up into their intersexual components and then writing a film to kind of like uh, entertain uh, or, or give credit to the intersectional framework we already have and then make some sort of inferences about psychological human, you know, human beings and hu the human race as a whole. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? And what was this course for? Was this a part of like clinical psychology in some way? Yeah, it was. And I just enjoyed the fact that we weren't necessarily using a textbook. We weren't using a textbook to think about someone um, in, a, in a yeah disembodied way, thinking about black people in this way. We were thinking just about a person who happens to be all of these things and then think about that from a psychological point of view. And that, for me, felt a lot more like we were thinking holistically. We were thinking, um, yeah, in an embodied sense. Um, and we were, we were trying to think about it from a mentalization point of view, but I realize I'm probably getting a bit... No, 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 no. What, what's mentalization point of view? What's this? Yeah, so it's... Um, so people might have heard of theory of mind with regards to autism. Uh, so it's... I mean, I'm throwing another term in, but essentially mentalization... And um, I wonder if my teachers will be listening to me trying to do a definition right now. But essentially, mentalization is, is, is your ability to understand and empathize with another person and start to understand that they themselves, as a, as a separate individual to you, have their own point of view, have their own psychological makeup, have their own reactions. And you get to start to understand maybe even the unconscious thoughts and feelings and behaviors they might be having, their, their sort of person. Um, before they even do, by sitting in a room with them in a therapeutic sense, particularly, and getting to understand what they go through, maybe even even a sort of subjective felt sense of mirroring their body, and yeah, being a part of being a part of that interaction gives you an op an opportunity to start stepping into their shoes and understanding them, and that's kind of the basic part of it. Um, yeah, Deborah, you might know, might be able to add a bit if you want to. Mentalization. No, my, my brain was off somewhere else. <laughs> <From the moment. laughs> Where was it? I know I was I was go? no I was I was off thinking back to mentioning Chloe and then this intuition question. I wonder I was wondering, Benjamin, did you bring that up? Because was there a thought how did she lose touch with her intuition to know that cutting things off would not be a good idea? Like how could these people be getting so far removed from what if we had intuition, we would know no don't do that. Is that, is that where that question hmm. was coming from? Well, or? Uh, I don't want it. Well, I mean, from her story, I've heard it a few well, times. Well, maybe more general, but not. Well, I was, I was just bringing it up as, as fodder for the conversation and then try to use that to, to get further into what you guys were talking about, about thinking deeper about things. But for whatever reason, the cart came before the horse with Chloe and a lot of her cohort where they start thinking in terms of sexuality before they have any sort of eroticism like just natural desire uh, where right. they start thinking in terms of identity when their identity, the concept of identity isn't even salient at all. When they're starting to think in terms of gender in a world that doesn't really have gender roles as much, or they're so obfuscated that it doesn't even make sense to have a gender. Cause you're not on the path of becoming a matron. You're not on the path of becoming a wife. You're not on the path of becoming a husband. You're on the path of becoming anything. And so, so, so they're, they're put, in a position where she thinks that she is a boy because she enjoys the boys more. She, she wants to be a boy because she doesn't think she's pretty enough. And 
nobody in her life is saying, you don't think you're pretty enough because you want to be pretty because there's some sort of value as a female that you, that you have with regard to being pretty. And even that's off, off, off limits in, in certain gender critical points of view that, that femininity and, and beauty would be necessarily important to a female on a biological level, on a psychological level and being disrupted or interfered with, with that makes her think like, well, I must be a boy. And then, well, how do I become a boy? She goes to the doctors. The doctor's like, okay, well, this is how we're going to make you a boy. This is how we're going to relieve your stress or whatever without really in interrogating and allowing her room to become comfortable with her body parts, with her natural growth. She's put on a track to, to be completely disembodied from herself. And, and in her story specifically, there's this wonderful moment in my interview with her where after she goes through all these processes of being modified, that this voice comes to her and tells her, stop lying to yourself, stop lying to yourself. So something, some, some, it sounds like some, some sort of transcendent thing, stop lying. And then she, and then she had to recognize all these different things. And it was something internal, something spoke to her directly. It sounds like, for me and nowhere in the world was that voice for her and she wasn't given access to that voice it had to in, in, intrude upon her at a certain point i don't know if that answers the question what i am hearing but, with that is that, the, that these young people are entering into being pulled into i don't know what like these intellectual like it's all in your mind. It's there's no reality. There's no lived, no lived experience, right? Informing any of these things. And it's all conceptual. And like, they're making these major life decisions based on something where they do not have the body, emotional, whatever, like in it's place a, to be entertaining all their head. It's a mentalization, but it's a, it's a synthetic mentalization. It's, it's a theory of mind without a theory of soul almost. Yes. I think soul yeah. and mind. And again, that that's another problematic word. And I want to bring that up to David. How do you talk about the soul? How do you talk about these deeper things like humanity without intruding upon some sort of non-rational, non, you know, non-translatable terms? Mm. You did, say, you did give me a hint, though, when you said thinking in terms of psychology, it felt more holistic. You used that term holistic to describe something that, that mm -hmm. edges on, on, a, on a deeper level. Yeah. I mean, I wish we were talking about spirituality more in our course, to be honest. I really do. We sort of talk about it as, you know, yeah, we, we had a... <laughs> We had a moment where we just thought about religion as, as another way to sort of talk about power and and how which religions are uh, which, which religions are more sort of um, what's the word uh, yeah pushed to the margins and margins rather than others it's sort of like okay so we're just back to like a popularity power competition again uh, rather than thinking about the, the deeper things that go beneath sorry to use deeper again but um, yeah I really wish we were talking about it a lot more it's, there's so much there to be sort of plugged into um, for a psychology course. Um, and luckily I'm seeing a, a, a union psychoanalyst for my own personal therapy, and he's happy to go as deep as you like <laughs> with thinking about myth and dreams and what they could be. And, 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 and there's a sense in which, I don't know, I feel a little, um, I don't know, untethered sometimes, but at the same time I feel completely, uh, I, I get a sense of, what's the word? Is it being humbled? Um, being humbled in the sense that I'm just a component part of of cultural evolution, and that there are myths that are so, you know, going on for so long, and I'm I'm just this sort of little 
part of that in 2023, plugging into sort of human myths and yeah, keeps you keeps you grounded at least. <laughs> You're so lucky to have a therapist who's able and willing to go there and hold that space. And I think therapy is sort of as it becomes politicized, is losing the ability to hold that space. And sadly, so are the churches. I mean, I don't know what vessels we're going to have. I'm not saying there can't be other ones, but I don't know what vessels we're going to have for sort of uh, transcendence and something that is deeper. Um, if, you know, the churches are all sort of championing this and, um, what inclusion a, diversity, like the, the intersectional framework, is all of, there? all of that. Yes. And as well as the, you know, the sort of, um, pride LGBTQ plus thing, um, you know, there's churches now that are having, um, <laughs> drag queens come in and uh, do little chats for children and uh, I passed a church the other day that had a pride flag and said be proud of who you are God is it's sort of like um, all of the sort of main mainline churches all the major denominations are all um, you know, picking up the pride flag and becoming sort of like institutions of um, critical social justice versus focusing on um, the traditions and helping people to learn from those and to give shape to people's lives. And so I wonder where people, when people are looking for something um, deeper and more transcendent, than our temporary fleeting identities in this world, where where are people going to be turning? I'm not sure. Probably mostly the Orthodox, whatever. Um, if that's even a holdout, you know, you think about the yeah. um, Greek Orthodox or you know more Orthodox Judaism or oh, is Islam or something like that, where people are more Orthodox. Well, it would change our culture and change the West drastically if everybody's embracing Islam instead of Christianity. You're really talking about a major cultural shift. So that's another interesting element to this, I think. What do you guys do when uh, spirituality crops up in your practices? Deborah, do you do... Are you, you also a counselor of some sort? <laughs> I'm, I play one on TV. No, you know, I don't even know the old Marcus Welby reference. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. Um, I, I, I act as though I'm a therapist. I'm actually not, but I've done, I've considered it. And then in my own like personal healing stuff, I've taken so many courses that one can take without actually like being in a training program. So like I know some stuff. Um, but, I'm not actually a therapist. I won't get into what I, but I do, but I spent a lot of time on these topics and I've done a lot of my own being a mm. client. And, um, and I also considered getting a master's in divinity. I have a, I have a thing for like, how do we shepherd people or midwife people is probably a better word through mm. things they're going through and get them. I, I'm very interested in getting people plugged into the resources that would suit them, you know, regardless of their, tradition or orientation um but i don't do this formally I and mean, this is what like i do it for fun 
Well, and, and Jen and David, like when spirituality becomes inevitable, how does one talk about it properly? I guess that's a really big question and it depends on the person you're, you're in front of. I just wonder like, is it a direction? Uh, is it... Hmm. I mean, that's a good question. It comes up. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Jim. You're gonna go. No, go ahead, please. I was just thinking, if you work with people who've been traumatized, you know, sort of severely at some point in their life, then they will they will almost have experienced a sort of a spiritual trauma as well, because what's happened to them is so incomprehensible that they don't have. Sometimes they don't have an ability to understand whether or not. You know, a sort of an unpro unprocessed trauma is almost, it almost is in some sort of, sort of good and evil place. You know, there's a moral, hmm. there's almost a moral framework there that's been created in the absence of something. I, I don't know, it's, it's almost as if someone's psyche will go there when they can't process things or when they need to find a reason why something like that could have happened to them. So... Yeah. So like God kind of and people's... the devil kind of thing, spirits, they, they, yeah. they think in terms of, you know, forces of good, forces of evil, angels, demons, stuff like that. Exactly. And that's what you see in, it's also what you see with people who have um, psychosis. I worked in an early intervention psychosis team and, and it was interesting just how much myth, you know, myth and spirituality came up in the hallucinations, came up in the experiences um, came up in their understanding of who they were in the what role in, in the world and their own sense of themselves and then what role they would put on this earth for sometimes. <laughs> um, so spirituality probably comes up from the patients, <laughs> even if it doesn't come from the universities. <laughs> so um, we, 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 we just say to them, well, you know, here's a, here's a power um, graph and you're sitting somewhere here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, if you're, especially in times of struggle, people are trying to make meaning of their struggle and they're trying to understand. So very often in therapy, it does lend itself towards a spiritual exploration. And I think, you know, you can act as a support in that person um, and their struggle and some, because sometimes it's causing a trauma or a difficulty can even cause a person to sort of, um, reshape some of their beliefs and assumptions. Um, it can change a person's spirituality a bit. Sometimes it can make it even deeper. Uh, they can tap into a place within themselves where they feel that they um, can better understand the suffering of others. And this ultimately, um, you know, guides them towards being a more compassionate person. All sorts of things can come out of um, struggle and an exploration of spirituality. There's a question from chat. Um, I don't really understand what uh, Jay is talking about, so maybe you guys could help me clarify this. But Jay is wondering how existential counseling programs are being impacted by social justice. Has social justice found its way into the existential part of the counseling field? I don't know what he means by existential counseling programs. You guys sit around and read Sartre and drink a lot of coffee and opine about hell and other people. So. That sounds like fun, but that was not what my program was like. So I don't, I don't actually know the answer to that question. I want to sign up though. I know. 
I think the okay. I don't know if I know what it is, but I think it might be of sort of given that we're going to die. <laughs> okay. Bad things are going to happen. Whatever. How does one make manage psychologically and kind of have a good life? I don't really know though. Don't quote me on that, but I have a feeling there's a bit of a, a things are hard and dark kind of, and so therefore, you know, how does one proceed in that? But th that might not be true. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, th that's a good question. In the context of death, um, or bringing up the context of death, uh, that kind of, that causes one to think about time and themselves differently. Um, that, that's a really big intrusion onto the person. And I personally, I don't know how to think about death. I don't know how to talk about death. Everybody has to kind of think of it in their own terms. But psychologically speaking, or within the context of the counseling uh, you know, process, what is death or how, how does one approach death? How, what is the purpose or the meaning, I guess, of just that framework? That sounds like a very ex existential kind of framework. And then how do you think in terms of social justice with regard to death? How do you think in terms of your own legacy, your own life, the meaning of your actions? And if I guess social justice could be one way of making yourself be meaningful in terms of death or history, something like that. If you guys have any input or training in that. I have not. I don't have any experience in how social justice links to existential psychology, which is really about how we make meaning of the major things. Like, how do we make meaning of our life? How do we make meaning of death? And, um, <laughs> and I haven't had um, people talk about death or any major issues in the light uh, through a social justice lens. I have not had that experience. And I rather doubt that I will because I don't think that, I, I don't think that all this critical social justice stuff really maps on to the um, most central, um, really jaw-dropping aspects of human experience. When you lose someone you love or you find out you have a cancer diagnosis, you are, it's real, it's real. And when people are being real, they tend to not be theoretical. And so you don't see many people that are really in the depths of intense suffering starting to go into political theory. <laughs> And I hope that we don't, because I think that will be yet another removal from ourselves and another disassociation. Um, but I, I don't see it. And that's part of, that's just another reason why I don't think that this stuff belongs in therapy, because therapy is very much about what's real. What are we really feeling? What are we really thinking? Um, and it's not meant to be sort of surface or uh, superimposing things on our experience to try to kind of reshape them. Although I have to admit, I've been doing this like biweekly group that's around grief and the facilitator just this last time put her pronouns in um, on her thing. And I'm like, oh now is this coming into the grief space? I, she didn't say anything about it, but I was like, oh, is this encroaching here? The grief space. Could you, could you expand on that, Deborah? What do you mean, the grief well, space? Well, I mean, it's a group that's people processing grief. And so somehow I just didn't want to be reminded of any of that while I was in a thing like that. 
And then I saw, oh, okay, now that this little vibe of a social justice thing, she didn't say anything about it, but now it's, it's like on the screen. It's like on the Zoom. It's like, I see it. It's like, I'm sitting here. And so, so I started to notice a little bit of like separation in my like participating because, you know, there's a little bit, well, is something going to else happen here? Or are we going to start having an ideology here? I mean, we didn't, but that mm. gave me a little pause. Like now are the other people going to put their pronoun, you know, like, is there going to be more of it? So that's, I guess that's what I meant. Hmm. Jen, you brought up something really insightful for me about disassociation and how spirituality, counseling, um, wellness, mindfulness, all the, all these things that we can loosely define as spiritual or, or mental health space stuff is about dealing with dissociation when it arises, how it arises, um, how, how past experiences, past lives, uh, past lived experiences, uh, it was probably like in between those two things, cause us to disassociate and, and breaking down all these different things that cause us to disassociate from reality. Uh, and maybe truth and goodness and beauty are part of reality. Um, but anything that causes more distance or disassociation I guess distance or difference between oneself and their self is an intrusion on that space. It's the opposite of mental health. It necessarily has to be the opposite of mental health. You can't deal with the outside world. You can't deal with historical and sociological phenomena. Again, Peterson ease until you, until you're connected to your own room, until you've done the work to, to organize your connection to yourself. And so I guess that that's one vector of criticism of critical social justice in certain spheres, insofar as it's taking over the sphere of counseling and diverting it from the process of somebody understanding themselves and then understanding the world. And then understanding how to be a compassionate person in the world. First, you have to love yourself. Then you love your, your family. Then you love your neighbors. And then you can start thinking about loving history, right? I would, I would suppose. Yeah, it's sort of like, um, yeah, that is the thing that I like about um, some of Jordan Peterson's thoughts is that he really does believe in the individual. Um, and and that that's sort of the starting point you know you start by getting your own life in order before you arrogantly go out and try to change the entire world and um and so ultimately a person who has their life in order and is paying attention to those details within their own self and within their own life who doesn't think that they're somehow morally or intellectually superior to those details but manages their life manages their personal relationships that person can then bring more into the world and i i would absolutely agree with that not that you have to be perfect to make a difference in the world because then you'll be waiting forever um but yeah, in general, I agree with that way of looking at things. What were you going to say, Deborah? Yeah, I, I think I've said this in this group before, but it, it kind of ties in. I like it. I, I can't remember the guy's name. He was actually was at a, like a CEO of an insurance company, of all things. But he said something to the effect of the quality of an intervention like in a system is depends on the state of consciousness of the intervener. So, I mean, it's this kind of thing, like if you're really fragmented or not very well integrated or just half at, you know, whatever, like whatever you do out there is just going to not have, you know, good reverberations. Um, but if you're coming from like a pretty high state of consciousness or something like that, it's more likely what you're doing will have a positive impact. 
She's got those good reverberations. <laughs> She's done all her psychopotations. Benjamin, so David, I like how your mind works. <laughs> David, going back to the very beginning of the conversation, when you were saying, like, you were talking, somebody pegged you as an individualist, and you weren't collectivist <laughs> enough. Do you think that like like there's a counter there like like if you were put in that situation again and it wasn't going to destroy your reputation or in the in the social moment how you would uh, challenge somebody saying you're an individualist uh, not a collectivist or putting putting some sort of moral weight on you or pegging you in that way mm. is there a mm. way that you could judo that um, mm. I thought about it afterwards and I thought that. Um, well, obviously, one, just because I'm criticizing a collectivist viewpoint doesn't make me an individualist, as we've already sort of said. But I guess um, I guess the project of a secular society is to uh, give people the opportunity to find their own collective, to find their own community, to reach out to those places, to not necessarily be designated to those places in a fixed way from birth or because they like to have sex with a people who look a certain way. I don't know. Um, it, it, there's there's so much freedom there to find those communities. And I would probably just say I've got plenty of other <laughs> parts to me that um, feel belonging in other communities. And, and I guess you know, I plug into collectivist ideas. And I, well, I don't know. If, would that be a good way of judoing it? Um, hmm. I'm not sure that would be a judo chop. That'd be a, sort of yeah. sl a slowly sort of sending someone judo to judo sleep, maybe. But um, well. <laughs> well, um, you know, you can bring up your pronouns. Say, well, I use I, so, and you use he for me. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not a pluralist. I begin as an individual. So every royal every we. move I make has to begin with that. I'm not the royal we. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I was just thinking of these existential questions as well and thinking that, gosh, social justice existentialism is uh, is all about if you don't use my, my, the right pronouns, then you, you've erased my identity. I've, I've literally not, I don't exist anymore because of that. <laughs> That's, you know, and again, just go back to the idea that we've, you can't, they're irreducible components, aren't they? Sex, gender, and, and those things. And you, there's nothing, there's no layer underneath it. Um, so once you've, once you've not acknowledged that part, <laughs> You've erased my identity somehow. Um, also, I'd like to just say, what's wrong with um, being someone who values the individual? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that, that's the other irritating thing is we, we, we have, uh, and I think Carol Show has done a, um, you know, done a good bit of research on this, like understanding some of the, the ways in which clinical psychology programs um, seem to have some some ideas kind of built into them at the moment. There's an acronym called WEIRD, Western Educated Industrialized, oh, I can't remember the R, Rich. or the D actually. Rich, and another one. But there's a, there's a sense in which just on the course, on the course itself, individuality and individualism has had its day. We've done psychoanalysis, we've done that form of psychology, that stuff's old hat. It's all about systemic points of view. It's all about the collectivist points of view. So I guess the other thing would be to just say to people, can you can you go back more than 20 years in history and think about when we've had some pretty awful things that have happened as a result of 
um, well-meaning individuals possibly going along with collectivist ideas. I just, I just don't think that people feel the after effects of that anymore because it's in, it's in too, too much of the past, even though it's only 50, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, Be yourself, just like everybody else. Because it's, yeah. it's, it's hyper individualism and hyper collectivism. It's this horseshoe theory with the with the if you if you adopt if you truly adopt honestly the social justice points of view. And I, I was just thinking like that that whole like you're erasing their existence. It's a power play. I don't think anybody actually believes that anybody's existence is being erased. Mm. It's a power play. Say you're mm. you're invalid. I, I I I'm sure some people do, but I think it's it's usually used in third person, like a uh, kind of a surrogate defense. Like you're erasing their existence. You're you're you know, it's 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 kind of political speak, but it, I guess it bleeds mm. into individual conceptions of themselves and the other, too. So I don't think it's healthy mm. at all. But I I don't know to what extent people actually uh, use that outside of the rubric of gaining power and shoring up power for a certain point of view. Yeah, I, I'm just so, wondering, are people getting starved for lack of depth? I mean, I'm just wondering, even with your classmates, David, like, are, 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 is that going to hit? Will it just hit people at some point? I don't know. I don't know how long people can go on with a lot of surface entertainment and being on Twitter and just keeping a shallow sort of way of operating. But I just wonder, at some point, people will, is it possible that some sort of hunger will eventually overtake them? Or can we keep having people at the you know, the shallow end of the pool? <sighs> it's a good question. I mean, I've seen it, I've seen it on the course. I've seen, I've, I've been um, encouraged, I think, since, since the, 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 you know, a year and a half ago when the course started, just how many people are starting to hunger for conversations. You have to have them in the, sometimes in the, in, in the corridor or you have to have them one-to-one or down the pub later on or something like that. Um, but yeah, so the hunger's there, but I, I know what you mean. I, I, I just think that it's getting, it feels like it's getting quieter. It's, it's almost as if, and I feel this as well, as well is, you know, you, you see certain things that are presented and you, you think if I, if I can't, if I can't sort of freely think and speak on this topic, because at some point I might make a little move in the wrong place, I might not speak at all. And sometimes it's, it's like an awareness of, a, more of a hunger and awareness can actually probably make you feel even quieter because mm. you then sort of start, if I'm actually moving, I'm now moving into a different field of, of what I think about this and therefore I'm more at risk of, of, of exposing myself perhaps. That's why, that's what I wonder actually. Well, Leslie's good at keeping time. We've been on for an hour. Thank you very much. I think a couple of people are asking who you all are, and I guess, uh, but you guys do this every week, so I don't feel introductions were necessary. So I apologize for for that if I, I didn't do that properly. But um, why don't we plug again where people can find the resources that you guys are uh, developing, solidgroundsupport.com, correct? And for $5 mm-hmm. a month, you guys can join these um, groups, uh, Peer, peer counseling groups, peer support groups, right? Um, that are yeah. non-legal and non-psychological. Uh, you guys do not dispense with meds, unfortunately, but I guess legally that's probably the best <laughs> way to go about it. Um, anything coming up for you guys uh, on the horizon this summer? You're, you're planning individually or as a collective? <laughs> we need a group trip. No, <laughs> yeah. why not? 
<laughs> that would be wonderful. Yeah, somebody has suggested we do retreats. We might do some group group retreats at some point. We'll see. Yeah, but solidgroundsupport.com. And we're happy to have you join our groups. So there's um, four different groups running. So if you pay $5 a month, you can go to any one of those groups. And all of them. <laughs> yeah, you can go to all of that. Oh, wow. You can, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We won't get sick of seeing you. Okay. Swingers club for people who like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm oh, sure God. that you guys are going to talk about monogamy coming up here later on. Leslie, again, <laughs> Leslie's out and uh, Leslie's traveling abroad and she'll be back next week. Uh, thank you guys very much for joining. Thanks, chat. And thanks for letting me host you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You I really it. appreciate it, Ben. Cool. We are done. You guys seeing a black screen? Blank screen.